know, it's a wonderful thing to come together each week and to open God's Word and learn from Him, right? I mean, it's a wonderful thing. It really is. I, th I think sometimes we, we take for granted uh, this privilege, this blessing uh, of being in church together, uh, of, of sitting under the preaching and teaching of God's Word. It is truly a wonderful thing. And it's been a wonderful thing over these last several weeks to gather together, to open God's Word, to learn about prayer. Uh, I mean, we have shown, I believe, that knowing how to pray, knowing who and what to pray for, uh, knowing the manner in which we should pray, all of these things are essential to a healthy prayer life. Uh, but the reality is, at some point, if we're going to have a healthy prayer life, if we're going to be effective in prayer, uh, we simply just have to make up our minds that we're going to pray. I mean, isn't that right? We just have to come to the point in our lives where we say, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set aside some time to pray. I'm not just going to think about it, not just going to talk about it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to pray. We must take time to engage in the activity of prayer. Uh, there is a quote by S.D. Gordon that I've read several times over the years, and I'm going to read it again this morning. I think it really sums things up for us pretty well. He says this. He says, the greatest thing anyone can do for God and man is pray. It's not the only thing, but it's the chief thing. The great people of the earth are the people who pray. I do not mean those who talk about prayer, nor those who say they believe in prayer, nor yet those who can explain about prayer. But I mean those people who take time to pray. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 116. We're going to read a few verses in just a moment, but this entire psalm is a, again, a song written to rejoice in the reality of what we've just talked about, that we have a God in heaven who hears us when we pray, who moves in our behalf, and so therefore, as a result of that, we should be a people who pray. Uh, Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2 is all I'm going to read to you this morning. I'll refer to some other verses in this psalm before we're through this morning. These are verses that I often read at the beginning of a memorial service to try to draw people's attention to the reality that in times of need, in times of sorrow, mourning, uh, there is a God uh, that we can call upon who will hear our cry, our plea for mercy, who will comfort us in all of our afflictions. Uh, and that's the God that the psalmist writes about here. That's the experience that the psalmist had had. I guess that's really what we're going for. We want to, to move this whole issue of prayer from the theoretical to the practical. Again, we want you to know about prayer. I want to know about prayer, but more than that, I want you to pray. The psalmist prayed. Look at verse 1, Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Now let's, let's stop right there and let's, let's pray together as we, as we look at these, these verses. Father, we are thankful today for the word of God. Thankful that we find recorded for us, not only commandments, and certainly, Lord, we find uh, 
commandments to pray. That, that should be reason enough for us to engage in prayer. But Father, we also find encouragements to pray. Lord, story after story of men and women who came to the, the end of themselves, Lord. They found themselves with nowhere to go, no one to turn to except you. And in that moment, Father, uh, what they experienced was a power beyond our ability to truly understand. A love, Lord, that, uh, well, we can never find adequate expression of uh, with simple words. Uh, they found a, a God uh, who was able to do for them what they could not do for themselves. And Lord, I know, because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that, that when we find ourselves at, the, well, at that place where we have done everything we know to do, we've said everything we know to say, and yet our problems, our suffering, our sorrow remains, Lord, we too will find a God who loves us beyond our wildest imagination, a God who is able to do for us what no other person, not even ourselves, can do for us. And Lord, not just one who can, but one who delights to do for his people. So open our hearts today. Help us to, again, to determine, to resolve, to purpose, to pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm really going to just talk about three things this morning, again, which isn't so unusual for messages that I preach, three points. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to point out uh, the, the one whom the, the, the psalmist loved, who he loved. Uh, we're going to talk about what the psalmist had learned, and then how the psalmist lived as a result of what he had learned about the one that he loved. Uh, so three easy points, I hope, that... Uh, you will just uh, grasp these, uh, well, the significance of, of what is being said here. I love the Lord. And of course, the question I would ask you this morning as we begin is, do you love the Lord? Have you come to that place in your own life where you can say with all honesty, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I, I love God. I, I, I have found Jesus Christ uh, to be the greatest treasure on earth. To be not only my Lord and my Savior, but my friend, my intercessor. I, I love the Lord. I love this life that God has given me. I, I love God's Word. That's what the psalmist is saying. I, I love the Lord. He uses the personal name of God. And I, I want to just point out several things about the Lord that the psalmist loved. Because I think it's important for us to, to love for these very reasons. And again, he says, I love the Lord. And, and that's the, you know, if you look at your, your Bible there, that word Lord is in all caps. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That means that's, that's the word Yahweh. That's the, the Hebrew word Yahweh. And the Jews were so reverent toward that name, they wouldn't even speak it out loud. And, and thus, as a result, we have this, this translation in our Bibles right up to this very day. Uh, but this is the personal name of God. This is the name that God applied to himself uh, when he spoke to Moses from the burning bush. When Moses asked the question, well, who will I say sent me when I'm before the people of God there in Egypt or before Pharaoh? 
Who can I tell them sent me on this mission? And God says, you can tell them that I am did. Yahweh, it's me. I, I did. This personal God. And that's the first thing that we need to understand about the God to whom we pray. Uh, that he's a personal God. He's our heavenly father. And we're his children. In other words, there's a relationship here. God is not some impersonal force. And, and the other thing about this personal nature of God is that God is not someone who is far away and beyond our reach. Again, God is with us. We've already thanked him for that this morning, for being here with us. And we need to understand that in our daily lives. Let me tell you, our lives are, well, there is a constant need that we live with, right? Whether it's for comfort, whether it's for provision, whether it's for wisdom, whether it's for guidance, uh, whatever it may be, help in whatever form or fashion it may come. We are always in need of help. I know sometimes we don't like to think so, but the reality is we're always in need of help. And the truth is, is that we always have a helper. Now, that doesn't sound like a very uh, significant title for God, does it? Helper. But as I mentioned a moment ago, let me tell you, God delights in helping us. He delights in being our helper. He delights in being that help that we can call upon in times of trouble. He is a personal God. Again, not just a power or a force, but he is our heavenly father. And when we bow our heads and close our eyes, or when we lift our voices and raise our hands to pray, we can know that we're not praying to some thing. Oh no, we're praying to someone. Our Heavenly Father. The one that loves us. The one that gave himself for us. He's a personal God. He relates to us on a personal level. We can approach him on a personal level. Again, it's a wonderful privilege, a profound blessing in our lives that, that all too often we take for granted, that, that really all too often we neglect. Prayer is something that we do as a last resort. Again, the psalmist had learned, look, no longer will prayer be a last resort. If it ever was, it will no longer be that. And what I would encourage you today is to, is to understand that and to embrace that in your own life. Prayer should be our, our default, uh, not, not the last option in a list of many. We should go to this God who loves us, who gave himself for us, this personal God, this heavenly Father who invites us to come boldly before the throne of grace. And, and not only will we find him a, a personal being, but, but a passionate being. God cares about us, right? He tells us, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. God is not simply obligated to hear us when we pray. He doesn't hear us and respond to us out of a sense of duty. Well, I created these poor human beings. I guess I better take care of them. <laughs> That's kind of how we think about one another, right? Oh, gosh. I asked for this. I guess I better do something about it. That's not God's attitude at all toward us. God loves us. He cares for us. There, there is a, a passion 
for us. It's, it's hard for us. I, I said just the other day in a group of people, we were talking about current events and all that's going on in our world today and even brought it right home, uh, you know. And, and I said this. I said, well, you know, guys, the reality is, I said, people ruin everything. <laughs> I mean, isn't that right? People ruin everything. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about war in Russia and the Ukraine or whether we're talking about angry parents at a 10 and under basketball game. People ruin everything. But God loves his people. So we can count on him to hear us and to answer. We can count on the, the, the passion of God to be a part of our lives. Uh, in the book of Exodus, Moses Ask God. He said, please show me your glory. You remember that passage of Scripture. It's in, in Exodus 33. Moses said, please show me your glory. And God answered him with this. He said, I will proclaim before you my name. So again, when we're talking about the, the name of God, the Lord, Yahweh, when we're talking about that name, and of course, we've preached from this pulpit just exactly what that means, what the name of God is and what it means. But God gave Moses a glimpse uh, a summary of what that name is. I will proclaim before you my name. Moses said, show me your glory. God said, I'm going to proclaim you to you my, my name. And then Exodus 34, 6 goes on to say that the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, his name twice. And then he goes, he goes into this, this description of his name. A God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. And so when we think about the name of Yahweh, this personal name of God, <clears throat> and what that name means for us, again, the first thing we ought to think is a God who loves us, a God who is passionate in His care. For us, I mean, look at that description. He's merciful. Aren't we glad God's a merciful God? You know, one of the things we find so rarely in our world is true mercy. But God's merciful. God is gracious. He is slow to anger. You know, I have to admit, the older I get, it seems sometimes the faster I get angry. I get impatient. You would think the older you would get, you know, with wisdom and age and experience would come patience and understanding. Ah, sometimes that's true, sometimes not so much. But God is slow to anger. I think sometimes we get this idea that, that God's just waiting for us to mess up. He's, he's, just, he's just up there waiting to, to, to be angry with us, smoldering. Not so. Slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God doesn't just love us. He's not just faithful. He abounds. He overflows. Uh, it's this constant pouring forth of His love and faithfulness. And again, His, his loving kindness, His faithfulness are not just things that He says about Himself. They're who He is. They're what He does. 
So again, when we think about prayer, and that's exactly what the psalmist is writing about, when, when the psalmist speaks of prayer, when we think of prayer, when we think of this one to whom we go to to pray, uh, being our heavenly father, we think of him in terms of a, of a loving heavenly father, a parent that we can run to, cry out to, depend upon. And what we find there is this passionate, caring, merciful, gracious, loving, faithful, heavenly Father who, again, what does He do? He forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin. That's another thing that's in pretty short supply in the world in which we live, isn't it? I mean the world of human beings. Forgiveness. It's hard for us to forgive. We don't even like to forgive. We like to hold something against somebody. I don't know why that makes us feel so good. Maybe it, maybe it just reminds us that, you know, we're not the only ones that need forgiveness. Let me tell you, we all need forgiveness, don't we? And God gives it. God forgives. And again, He forgives all kinds of sin. Iniquity, transgression, sin, the, 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 the whole gamut God, God forgives. So when you go to the Lord, and sometimes you will, perhaps often you will, and your prayer is a prayer of confession, a prayer of, oh God, I'm sorry, here I am again. Let me tell you, God forgives. You can count on it. Personal God, a passionate God. Again, relate this to yourself. Personal relationship with you. You know, in Jesus Christ, we have a personal relationship with God. God is passion, passionate <clears throat> about us. And then what we can never lose sight of is this, that, that, that this God to whom we pray, this is the God who spoke the universe into existence. He is a powerful God, powerful beyond our, our wildest dreams. This is the God who said to Abraham, is there anything too hard for me? In other words, Abraham and Sarah both doubted the fact that in their old age that God would be able to fulfill his promise of giving them a child and making of them a great nation. God just simply said rhetorically, is there anything too hard for me, Abraham? Of course, the implied answer is absolutely not. Nothing too difficult. For God, Paul says that this is the God who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So again, when we pray, we need to know that God is able to do for us more than we're asking Him to do. More than we're able to even think about asking Him to do. This is the God who, by His power, makes all things work together for our good. Have you ever thought about that? I'm sure you have. I mean, we want that verse to be true, and let me tell you, it's true. But sometimes we doubt it, don't we? Our experience is such that we say to ourselves, and perhaps we even say to one another, you know, I know what the Bible says, but I don't know how God can work this together for my good. Let me tell you, the Bible says that God works all things together for the good of those that He's called to Himself, those that love Him. Do you love the Lord? The psalmist 
loved the Lord. And he had come to love this personal, passionate, powerful God increasingly so as he experienced God's love in his own life and the answer to prayer that no doubt came as a result of his cries or his pleas for mercy. So let's talk about what he had learned, what we need to be learning. I love the Lord because, because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Now again, it seems like a pretty simple statement. God has heard my prayer. And again, we expect, don't we, for God to hear our prayer? Or do we? And again, the implication here is that when God hears, it doesn't simply mean that he has acknowledged our prayer. It means that he moves in behalf of what we've cried out to him for. Same thing for us, by the way, church, when, when the Bible tells us to hear the Lord, it doesn't just mean that we hear him. It means that we do what we hear. Same thing for God here. When he hears, it implies movement in our behalf. Activity. God engages his mind. Think about that for a moment. I know over the years as as pastor here at Calvary Hill Baptist Church, I have thought and planned and considered and proposed. uh, But when we go to the Lord, it's God's mind that is engaged in our behalf. It's a pretty significant thought, a pretty significant power that we have access to. And that's the idea here. When, when the psalmist writes, he's heard my, my voice, my pleas for mercy, he, he has learned that he has access to God. And let me tell you, as a child of God, so do you. You have access to God. The Bible says of Jesus Christ, I've already used this word once today, the Bible refers to Jesus Christ as our intercession. Now, first of all, we know that that means that Jesus is praying for us. And what a wonderful thought that is. Just to know that the Son of God, seated at the right hand of God the Father, is praying for us. What a comfort that ought to be to us. What an encouragement that ought to be to us. But the other thing that that word intercession speaks of, it speaks of access. It is through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, that we have access to the Father. That's why you and I can come before the throne of grace. It's what Paul writes. We have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Jesus Christ. So again, I would ask you as we talk about maintaining or establishing this kind of prayer life, have you come to the place in your own life where you've trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord? These Old Testament words, that's who they apply to. They apply to the children of God. They're not just for anybody. Not just anybody has this kind of access to the the throne. God's children do. So we can come with boldness. The word boldness in the Bible, especially here in Ephesians where Paul uses it, 
we tend to think of boldness as the kind of boldness that the, uh, the early disciples displayed as they stood up in the face of persecution. And certainly that's a, that's a boldness that ought to be seen in our lives as well. But this word boldness, when we, when we, when we speak that word in the context of prayer, when we, when we come before God with boldness, what it means is that we can come before Him, I guess a literal translation would be open-mouthed. In other words, there's nothing that we can't bring to God. There's nothing we can't say to Him. Neil mentioned it last week. You know, we, we kind of hate to think about prayers of complaint. Well, I don't want to go complaining before God. But let me tell you, if you've got a complaint about some wrong that's being perpetrated against you or some wrong that you see in our world, there's nobody better to go to and complain about that than to God because He's really the only one that can do anything about it. So we can go to God with anything. We can go before Him boldly, open mouth. There is nothing that you can't say to God. And, and again, what does the Bible teach us about words that we speak? Scripture tells us that before we ever open our mouths to speak, God already knows what we need. God knows everything, doesn't He? So there's nothing that you're going to say to God that's going to cause Him to gasp. <laughs> nothing that's going to shock Him. We think we can shock God. Let me tell you, God's seen it all. He's heard it all. We can go to God with boldness, open mouth. We can say anything we need to say to God because we have access through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, we can come before God, as Paul says, with confidence. I don't have to come frightened. I don't have to come timidly. I don't have to come expecting some harsh rebuke. Probably the reason I'm coming is the harsh rebuke's already happened, right? So we come before the Lord with confidence. We have access to God. The author of Hebrews simply says it this way, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So what is it that we find when we draw near to the throne of grace? Mercy. Not condemnation. Mercy. Not rebuke, not punishment. Mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Let me, let me tell you that God knows us. He knows that we are people who are needy. We need Him. And when we come to Him with our need, in mercy and grace, He helps us. Not only do we find access to God, I mean, it's a wonderful thing to know that there's a God that we can go to who can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. But again, we've already implied it to a certain extent. Not only access, but acceptance. God delights in our coming. We are His children. Uh, we are citizens of heaven, members of the household of God. We are joint heirs with Jesus. We have this relationship with God. Uh, again, God loves us. So what we find when we enter into his presence is acceptance. Again, I think sometimes we get this idea that, that there's just this possibility that we're going to be rejected. God's going to say, oh no, that's enough of that. I've heard it enough. You should have known better. As a matter of fact, you do know better. That's not what we find, though. Scripture says that we are accepted in the beloved. Again, this is all about being in Christ. In Christ, we are accepted. 
We are, we are, we are welcomed into the presence of God. Notice that the psalmist speaks here of please, plural, pleas for mercy. The psalmist, just like us, <clears throat> found himself coming again and again for the help that he needed. You ever knelt and prayed and said, God, I'm done with this. Not going to do it again. And then what happens the next day? You're right back there again, right? God, I know. I knew better. I, I knew. Help me. Well, let me tell you, he helps. We have this acceptance, this welcome before God. We can come again and again. As a matter of fact, God expects us to come again and again. God delights in our coming again and again. Uh, the 103rd Psalm, not too many pages back in your Bible, says this about God. Psalm 103, verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. We've heard those already. Look at verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. As a, Lord shows, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. We can go before the Lord with whatever it is that we have to bring before him and know that what we're going to find there is mercy and grace, acceptance, love. We should never be afraid to pray. So access, acceptance, and then finally, what does God do? God helps us, right? He moves in our behalf. He, he gives us the assistance that we have asked for, those words, he inclined his ear to me. That speaks of God lovingly and tenderly meeting the need of his child. It really pictures God turning in response to the cry of his child and then stooping down to meet that child's needs, really to scoop the child up in his arms in order to meet his need. Now, we've all experienced that in our lives, haven't we? If we have children or grandchildren, somebody gets hurt, somebody gets their feelings hurt, somebody cries, we scoop them up in our arms, tell them everything's going to be fine. That's what God does for us. Isn't it good to know we have a God like that? I mean, the truth is, as we face the future, it's easy for us to sometimes get the idea, hey, everything's not going to be fine. I mean, you think about the Ukrainian Christians this morning. trying to find a place to hide, to shelter themselves and their family. I mean, it, it would almost be cruel to send a note over there and say, hey guys, chin up, everything's going to be fine. But let me tell you, when we go to the Lord in prayer, that, that's what God says to us. Everything's going to be fine. I got you. You're mine. Everything's going to be fine. And let me tell you, that's what he says to us every day of our lives. Everything is going to be fine. So, this God that he loved, 
this God that he had learned to love. Caused him to to live in a certain manner. And, And that's the way it should be in our lives. God has demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He saved us. And now, since that moment in our lives, we have experienced the love of God being lavished upon us, blessing upon blessing, ministry upon ministry. And we have begun to see God in an always or ever-growing way. He gets bigger and bigger and greater and greater. And what that should do for us is to cause us to live differently today than we did yesterday. And that's the idea that we find here in the psalm. He says, I love the Lord because he's heard my voice, my pleas for mercy. He's inclined his ear to me. Therefore, as a result of who God is, as a result of what God does for me, let me tell you, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to live differently than I once lived. There perhaps was a time in the psalmist's life when he didn't call upon the name of the Lord when he was in trouble. But no more. I'm going to call on him as long as I live. That word, therefore, it's followed by a purpose statement. Again, I titled this message, Purpose to Pray. I could have said, Determine to Pray, Resolve to Pray, Make Up Your Mind to Pray. That's what the the psalmist has done. In light of who God is and what God does, he had determined, he had purposed to pray. I will call upon him as long as I live. The rest of my life. And again, what does it mean to call upon the Lord? Well, certainly it speaks of prayer, right? I mean, the psalmist could have said, therefore I will pray as long as I live. And certainly that's what we ought to determine this morning. We ought to determine that for the rest of my life, I'm going to be a person of prayer. I'm going to pray. Again, and what is prayer? Prayer is speaking to God. I mean, it's as simple as that. Prayer is speaking to God. It's going to God and voicing my needs. And again, although there's nothing wrong with silent prayer, there are simply those times when silent prayer won't do, will it? I mean, we have to raise our voice. We vocalize our needs and, and perhaps the needs of others. You know, when I, when I go into the hospital to pray with somebody, I don't pray a silent prayer beside that bed unless they're asleep or in a coma. They're awake and they're looking at me. I voice my prayer to God. I want that person that I'm praying for to hear me pray for them to God. Let me tell you, fathers, husbands, our families need to hear us pray. We need to pray. Sometimes we need to vocalize. We need to speak. That's what that word call means. It can mean to to lift your voice, to call, just like we would use it in, you know, your mama's calling, right? She's, she's standing on the front porch and she is lifting her voice and saying, it's time to come in for the night. We pray, we call upon the Lord. Look at verse 3 of Psalm 116. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. And let me tell you, you think that was a silent prayer that he prayed? I pray, deliver my soul, O Lord. I mean, he was dying or about to die. He was drowning. 
save me. Let me say, that's a, that's a prayer that we speak. And it's a prayer that God hears. So we pray in light of who God is and what God does when we pray, we should become people of prayer. And, and that word call can also mean to praise or to worship. Neil, he preached a whole message on praising God in prayer. And we should do that. To call on the Lord can speak of praising God. In verse 17, again, if you want to just turn over a page, at least it's a page over in my Bible. Psalm 116, verse 17, look what the psalmist says. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's, that's worship talk. And call on the name of the Lord. That's Hebrew parallelism. Those two phrases mean pretty much the same thing. In other words, to call on the name of the Lord means to offer up the sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise. So when we pray, we also praise God. We thank Him. Perhaps we even thank Him for the situation that we're in. Because no matter what situation you're in, God's with you and God's teaching you something. God's conforming you to the image of his son. You know, for Jesus Christ, the glory that awaited him came after the suffering that he had to endure. And let me tell you, the same thing's true for us, church. We don't like that suffering talk. We don't like to suffer. But suffering comes before glory. We should praise the Lord and offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And then finally, we should simply become people who pray. The third thing that this ought to change in our lives is our, our practice, the way we live our lives. The psalmist determined that prayer to the Lord would become a way of life for him. I will call upon him as long as I live, as long as there is breath in me. I'll pray. I'll pray to this God who loves me and who moves in my behalf. We need to determine this morning that we're going to pray. We're going to set aside time every day to pray. Prayer will no longer be an afterthought, but it will be an always thought. What the psalmist was saying is that he was going to begin to pray without ceasing. For the rest of my life, I'm going to pray. That's what we need to say. For the rest of my life, I'm going to pray. I'm going to be a man of prayer. I'm going to be a woman of prayer. I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord for as long as I live because I know there is a God who hears me, who understands my situation, and who moves in my behalf and takes delight in doing so.